Welcome to the Governance Freffy podcast, brought to you in conjunction with the Skills and Education Group. I'm delighted that you can join myself, Fiona Chalk, as I discuss with Seamus Gillen the role of the governance professional in enabling effective governance. Seamus started his career in local government before moving to Whitehall, where he was responsible for a range of portfolios before becoming private secretary to two cabinet ministers. He moved into industry as group company secretary and director of regulation at Anglian Water and then assumed the role of director of public policy and regulation at O2 PNC. As a former policy director at the Chartered Governance Institute, Seamus authored a number of influential publications, including the UK's benchmark regulatory document, the Financial Reporting Council's Guidance on Boardroom Effectiveness. 16 years ago, Seamus founded Value Alpha Limited and now advises organisations around the world on board effectiveness and director effectiveness, including leadership development for company secretaries and governance professionals operating in the boardroom. Seamus writes and speaks extensively on governance issues and his book, Building Better Boards, is being published by Bloomsbury Business in July, which we'll discuss later on. So welcome, Seamus. Thank you very much, Fiona. Delighted to be here. So I'm really keen to hear from you how you've seen the role of the governance professional develop over the last decade or so. Uh, Well, thanks, Fiona. Um, It's an interesting uh, point because we always traditionally used to talk about the company secretary. uh, And the company secretary, of course, is a uh, still a name which is in current use. And many organisations do have a company secretary running the affairs of their board and their boardroom. Um, But increasingly, and I agree with this development, we have talked about the governance professional. And the governance professional, of course, includes the person whose title is the company secretary. But I think it also uh, emphasises the importance of an organisation having uh, inside its, uh, its setup, inside its structure, somebody who takes responsibility for the governance of the organisation and principally the governance of the board and the boardroom and the directors or the trustees or the governors or whatever name we want to give the members of that board. So, uh, and we're even now seeing titles like the chief governance officer and so on, which I think is, for me, a really helpful development in um emphasising the importance of the the governance discipline at the very heart of uh, organisational affairs. Yeah, absolutely. And and so, as you were saying, this sort of role of the governance professional is really um, key to enabling impactful governance. But I wondered, in your view, is there such a thing as governance best practice? Uh, Actually, um, and this may sound heretical, um, I I don't think that there is. in as much as I've been working with boards and directors, uh, and I've counted it now in, in over 50 jurisdictions around the world, um, and there are so many examples of governance that it's very difficult to say that, for example, the UK Corporate Governance Code or any particular code um, applies to all organisations in all jurisdictions. Um, what I like to do is take the uh, approach that there's so many examples of good practice out there and we can make them best for our own organisation. So I think about best practice governance as operating at organisational level 
rather than in the more strategic or academic sense of the use of the term. So it really comes down to context, doesn't it? Um, And I think so then it's interesting, the following question, if we think about, well, why do some boards succeed? Are there any common features? Yes, I I think uh, so. uh, There there certainly are. And and, uh, it's it's sobering to think that all boards uh, pretty much fail for the same reasons and all boards succeed for the same different reasons. Um, and that allows us to identify what are effective cornerstones of good governance, which should apply inside any organization. So, for example, separating out the role at the top of the organization of the chair from the CEO is good practice. Uh, and it's so good, we might almost call it best practice. Having independent directors, having independent voices in the boardroom uh, is another example of good practice. Having a senior independent director or a deputy chair uh, is, again, uh, something we would look out for in an organisation which is well run. And there are other examples that we can use. For example, having a a proper nomination process for uh, appointments to the board so that the board is appointed on the basis of skills rather than, for example, being nominated, directors being nominated to the board or being elected to the board, having independence of the audit function and the risk management function inside the organisation. These are all examples of really, really good governance practice. Um, and one would expect anyone who's investing in an organisation, and by investing I don't mean shareholders investing money, I mean stakeholders investing their trust in an organisation, to be looking for those signs, uh, that evidence inside the organisation, to reassure them that that organisation is well run. And if factors like that are missing, um, I think those are red flags and those are warning signals to stakeholders that the uh, governance inside that organisation is maybe not as healthy uh, as it should be. So it's sometimes said that a board is only effective as the executive will allow it to be. Uh, and the same is also said to be true about the governance professional, that the role of the chair and the CEO have considerable influence over how well a governance professional can fulfil their role. Do you believe that to be true? And, and do you have any practical tips, perhaps for a governance professional who maybe feels restricted or underutilised in their role? So um, let's take the first question first about whether the board can only be as good as the executive allows it to be. I'm strongly of the view that the board's in charge. Everything begins and ends with the board. They are the custodians of the assets, uh, whereas the executive team uh, are not the people with the uh, with the liability to protect the assets of the entity. So uh, the very first thing I'm looking for in a well-run organisation is that the board understands its leadership responsibilities and adopts and accepts its leadership responsibilities uh, and has the executive work to its agenda rather than the other way around. Within that context, the the role of the governance professional can actually be quite, it can be quite difficult to get the optimal conditions to allow the governance professional to operate. Um, but in the best models, the governance professional is working 
principally in the interest of the board, uh, acting on behalf of the chair and the other directors to provide them with the independent advice that they need um, to be a well-run board. And although we shouldn't go to the UK Corporate Governance Code as the only code that matters or the only code in the world, because it's not, and there are hundreds of codes, even in the UK, and then there are thousands of codes around the world. But the UK Corporate Governance Code is a pretty influential code, and we, we should remember it's 30 years old this year, 30 years since it was the Cadbury Code in 1992. And that code makes absolutely clear that it's the responsibility of the governance professional to be advising the board and the directors on all governance-related matters. So I think the important point is that the uh, the company secretary or the governance professional develops a very good relationship with the board and with the chair and with the directors and helps educate the CEO and the management team about what her his role is in advising the board and seeking to ensure that she or he has enough independence in delivering their role that they can um, satisfy the, the needs of the board as well as reassure the, the CEO and the, and the finance director that they're a good professional working inside the company as well. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Um, and so there must be some key skills then that a governance professional needs to hone in order to be able to support and develop effective governance. I wonder if we could just have a chat about that for a minute. What do you see as, as the key skills for a governance professional to be able to deliver? Okay, so it's a, it's a really important question, Fiona, because we know that um, governance professionals at the beginning of their career, whether they're trying to obtain the qualification of uh, a chartered governance professional or whether they're from a legal background, they may even be from a risk management or compliance or other kind of background. They will often be subject matter experts early on in their career um, and they will often be seen as uh, the, the kind of person who can offer technical advice and, that, and that's fine at the beginning of their career. But inside the boardroom, of any organisation, whether it's further education, higher education, an NHS trust, uh, a listed company or whatever, the people operating inside those boardrooms are normally people pretty much at the top of their game. They're senior, they've been around, they've, been, they've had much experience of working in different organisations in different contexts. And what they are looking for from the governance professional isn't necessarily those technical skills, or that, those subject matter, knowledge, um, expertise skills, which would be relevant at the beginning of the governance professional's career. So I can go on and tell you what I think are the skills that really matter in this context when the governance professional is working inside the boardroom uh, and uh, attempting to uh, provide advice which is respected and seen as credible and genuine um, and, and those skills are more the soft skills actually I, I, I would suggest Fiona uh, because the people inside the boardroom are, are human beings and we're looking at relationships and board dynamics so for example I think that the governance professional should be seen as a leader inside uh, and outside the boardroom um, step, I, I describe that as stepping up and standing out and having skills which go simply beyond 
those of the Secretariat. Um, I think the governance professional also wants to be able to demonstrate some sense of business and commercial awareness, um, demonstrating that they're part of the business rather than separate from the business, because every organisation is effectively a business where we're looking at revenues and expenditures. So we'd look at the, to the governance professional to be commercially aware. We'd want the uh, governance professional to be strong on relationships and relationship building and being able to network and connect well with the members of the board and also outside the boardroom. And there's two other areas which I would identify, Fiona, as I think being important skills for the boardroom. One is to be that of the wise counsellor, the person who, when their advice is asked for, uh, is able to offer that advice and people listen to that advice. They're seen as a wise counsellor. And and the, the cumulative effect of all of those uh, what I would call soft skills, Fiona, is that the governance professional ends up having influence, ends up having impact inside the boardroom. And I think that the, those are the, the skills that we should be looking at in developing the governance professional for them to be a respected operator inside the boardroom. Yeah, I wholly agree with you there. I mean, there is an issue in our sector at the moment, probably common with other sectors, um, in difficulty in recruiting um, qualified or skilled governance professionals to the role. Um, And so some organisations are actually appointing people who've not got the formal formal governance training or achieved the qualification, although they may be highly experienced executives in other fields. So I just wondered how important um, do you believe it is that you know a governance professional continues to take professional development on the topic of corporate governance. I, th- I think it's absolutely vital. It's absolutely critical. The, the first point to make is that anyone working inside a professional organisation should be able to enjoy access to continuing professional development. That's just a, that's the point of departure for anyone uh, in a professional career position. Um, but in terms of the the governance professional. There are many aspects of the work where the organisation will be exposed in a legal sense, a compliance sense, a regulatory sense, if they don't have uh, in that role someone who actually understands uh, what the context is of their work. And we have to remember, Fiona, that, for example, in the UK, although there will be people listening to this who aren't simply in the UK, and there'll be people listening to this who aren't simply uh, part of a a company, uh, a registered company, uh, a company's house. But under the Companies Act 2006, uh, the, the secretary, the governance professional, is a principal officer of the company. That responsibility is set out in legislation. And what that means is that if the directors on the board get into difficulty, the secretary can be in difficulty as well. Um, And that principle applies irrespective of the constitutional form of the entity where the governance professional is operating. So it's absolutely critical that those directors or those trustees or those governors, whatever title they have, have advising them somebody who's knowledgeable in the area and who is continually taking uh, professional development because the world is changing Uh, Today is different from yesterday. Tomorrow is different from today. 
and you, one needs at the centre of the organisation, the governance professional is completely up to date with those um, developments because otherwise the directors are exposed and the organisation is exposed. So it's very much a, a short shrift um, economic measure to, to put into place uh, in the role of the governance professional, somebody who's some other kind of professional but doesn't have the technical and strategic and softer skill knowledge. Uh, that, and so, yes, ongoing professional development, and if they're not already professionally qualified, um, the organisation should support them in obtaining um, professional qualifications. Yeah, that's really great to hear. I mean, in our sector, they're about to launch um, three programmes from a level five to a level seven in conjunction with the Institute of Directors, which is tailored to governance in further education. So I'm sure that um, many people will be taking advantage of that. And I can confirm what you've said in our sector, too, that the governance professional is a designated officer of the organisation under law, including the recent insolvency laws that came into place. So absolutely, it's a vital role within the organisation. I mean, we know from all the corporate failures that have gone before, and you and I have studied these aplenty, um, that you can have good governance, I comply with a nominal code, but not necessarily be that effective. Um, and we're learning that boardroom behaviours are a key element in effective governance. And you've alluded to this as well. But I wondered if maybe we could expand on that a bit about the governance professional's role in influencing this in the boardroom. Um, and if so, how? Well, yeah. So thank you for that question, because, again, this is a really important issue. Um, the fact is many organisations fail for uh, reasons to do with what we call the, the soft stuff. So David Walker, who wrote the Walker Report after the financial crash and crisis in 2007 and eight, he said the hard stuff is the soft stuff. In other words, what's really hard about running an organisation, what's really hard about running the board, isn't the technical areas of knowledge and expertise. It's the soft stuff. It's the culture, the values, the behaviours and so on. Um, and uh, the governance professional, um, being at the heart of the board community, needs to have an understanding of that and needs to have developed expertise also in issues to do with behaviours and culture. And, and we know that that's a, a circle. Behaviours feed the culture and that comes round again to feed behaviours. And if any of that aspect of uh, operations is negative, then you get a vicious circle. Um, and what we want the governance professional to do is to work with the chair and the other directors to make sure that that circle is a, a virtuous circle uh, of positive culture, a positive culture uh, and positive behaviours. Uh, and most of the cases of organisational collapse have been attributable to poor behaviours, uh, a weak culture, and as a result, yes, technically compliant but um, behaviorally very weak. And the governance professional has a, has a key role to play in understanding what's going on inside the boardroom and is often the kind of person who can look around the room and see the kind of things which are happening, which other directors may not necessarily see and the chair may be too busy to see. And the governance professional's role is to bring that to the consciousness of the chair and the other directors in terms of calling out poor behavior and in terms of calling out weak culture, because we know that that is where organisations go wrong. 
So, so you've advised lots of boards um, all around the world. And if they were coming to you looking for advice on how they can elevate the impact of the governance professional within their organisation, is there sort of one or two key things that you could recommend that, that they could do to elevate the impact that's obviously so important of the governance professional? Well, one of the things that we might start off with, Fiona, technically is to ensure that the governance professional or the company secretary or whatever term we use is someone who is often seen as the appointment of the board. Uh, Therefore, the board should um, agree the appointment of the governance professional who's going to be advising them on all all governance-related matters, and it should be the board's decision if the governance professional is to move on. Um, So that gives them a a form of footing inside and legitimacy inside the organisation and inside the boardroom. And as you were talking about in the FE sector, the designated officer uh, and the company's legislation, the principal officer. So giving them that formal recognition by making them a board appointment. And then after that, seeking, as we were discussing earlier, uh, ongoing, offering ongoing support in terms of professional development um, having that person being allowed to uh, to qualify uh, as a chartered governance professional or some equivalent um, governance-related um, uh, qualifications like the Masters in, uh, in Governance. Uh, and I'm very encouraged to hear, Fiona, that your sector is working to, to provide programmes which would allow someone to become a more developed governance professional without maybe necessarily having to take the whole qualification. Uh, I, I think that's a very good move um, to, to for that person then to be encouraged to, to go the whole way and, and take the whole qualification. So giving the, the governance professional the, uh, the title and the respect that they deserve uh, is, is, is key to ensuring that uh, that person is able to operate with the with the profile and, and the credibility and the impact and the influence to help the organisation be successful. So unfortunately, Seamus, we're nearly out of time, but before we finish, would you like to give us a quick insight into the book that I think is being released on the 7th of July, as I understand it? Well, thank you very much, Fiona. Yes, um, so I wrote the book because I'd been travelling around the world um, working with boards and directors in different jurisdictions and I thought I should reflect on on my own personal and professional governance journey and, and to investigate those issues around where the best practice exists and what good practice looks like. Um, so I, I wrote the book. I'm very pleased and proud that it's been published by a significant publishing house, Bloomsbury Business. Um, and it contains um, not just my ideas, but what I consider to be some of the best ideas um, talking about governance from around the world, from thought leaders, from research studies, um, uh, and other sources of good practice governance. And I think it's, it, it will make a very interesting and I hope um, easy to read uh, reference source for people who want to understand better about what good quality governance uh, looks like. And it's coming out uh, next month. It's on pre-order on Amazon and Bloomsbury. And I hope uh, some of your listeners uh, will want to to buy it and and develop their own understanding of high-quality governance. Thank you very much for that. 
Yeah, thanks, Seamus. So just um, for people's information, the book's entitled Building Better Boards, How to Lead and Succeed in a Changing World. Well, it's been an absolute joy talking to you, Seamus. Thank you so much for joining us on the Governance for FE podcast and sharing your insights into the role of the governance professional in enabling effective governance, um, particularly within the further education and skills sector. So thank you. My pleasure, Fiona. Thank you very much for having me. I found it a really enjoyable conversation. Thank you for joining us on the Governance Refi podcast. Visit our website, governancerefi.co.uk, where you can find all the podcast episodes and a whole lot more information on governance in the FE and skills sector. This podcast was sponsored by the Skills and Education Group. Information on their qualifications, funding opportunities, professional development programmes and initiatives in support of teaching, learning and assessment can be found on their website at skillsandeducationgroup.co.uk. Okay.